Welcome to GrowthCap's Growth Investor Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba, Managing Partner of GrowthCap. In this episode, we chat with Gabriel Del Porto, the CEO of Udacity, the market leader in digital talent transformation. Udacity works with the world's leading companies to teach labor forces critical tech skills through its powerful and flexible digital education platform. Gabe was previously at the helm of LendingTree, having led one of the biggest and most successful turnaround and growth stories of a public company in the past decade. He earned graduate and undergraduate degrees in nuclear engineering from MIT and the University of Florida, respectively. We hope you enjoy the show. Gabe, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. What I thought I'd do to kick off is talk a little bit about EdTech and MOOCs. It's been some time since that topic has been pervasive and kind of high-profile position in the news. For a while, it was, I'd say, in the kind of early 2010s. Can you tell us a little bit macro what's happened over the last decade or so in this kind of segment of the tech economy? Yeah, it's a really great question. And Udacity was really a pioneer in the category. When Sebastian Thrawn, our founder, put his Stanford AI course online and got 160,000 enrollees in the first week, it really inspired the imagination of the world. And the really crazy thing about that was 23,000 people graduated the full Stanford graduate level AI course. And the number one Stanford student scored number 413 in the class. And the giant epiphany there was you didn't have to be the best of the best student at the most elite university to do some really incredible things. Now, since then, the industry and the category has changed and evolved quite a bit. For many years, these companies were searching for a business model. Um, Many of them were, including Udacity for a while, were totally free. When we decided, hey, we need to actually have a business model. I think everybody's like, wait, what do you mean? Why isn't this just free for everybody? So we've, uh, you know, we've changed and the category has changed quite a bit. The focus of the category has changed quite a bit. And with COVID shifting the world remote, COVID shifting learning from typically like in classroom, typically in enterprises, jamming 50 or 100 people into a conference room, like to teach something, that became impossible. And that really was a pivotal transition point for the category. Got it. I think one could see the massive potential of online education and education delivered in this format. But it seems like maybe there's been less buzz around the capital scene in terms of dollars going into the space. So there, there seems to be a little bit of a, a pause. I presume since you're highly effective and successful CEO, having turned around Lightning Tree, you're kind of infusing some of your expertise to help Udacity get to the next level. With that, I'd like to ask about your prior experience in Lending Tree, how you were able to accomplish quite an amazing feat there. Yeah, Lending Tree was a, a phenomenal experience for me. It was a phenomenal transformation of the company. I joined in 2011, and I think around May, I was, you know, I joined CMO. And the company at the time had some real assets, which you know, fundamentally a good product in a good category with tailwinds. People were moving in financial services to online to find their next mortgage or whatever loan product. People tend to value comparison shopping. So Linden Tree is a financial services marketplace. It doesn't really originate loans, but it provides shopping for you know better rates on your loans. At the time it was very mortgage focused. 
but it was struggling. And our competition was eating our lunch. We were losing a ton of money. We were about out of cash. And so I sat down with the CEO one day and we're just like, we have three months to turn this thing around. (laughs) Otherwise we're going to be out of cash. And it was like a dead sprint to get that company working in a very, very short period of time. And it was just getting our costs down, restructuring the company, shutting down some businesses, focusing on our core profitable business, which at the time was mortgage. And then at the same time, and I have to give credit to Doug, he supported me at every stage. But I said, Doug, I got to go hire the most expensive people you've ever hired in your life. And we're almost out of cash. And you've got to trust me. And he supported me. We brought in some great talent. And Lending Tree is a marketing-driven company, 60 cents when every dollar gets spent on advertising. And we very quickly turned around those marketing programs with just better talent, better approach, super analytical approach to marketing. And I joined in April. Within a couple months, by September, we were cash flow positive. And then we was off the races. It went from like, how do we keep the same from going bankrupt to how do we become profitable to how do we actually accelerate growth? And so for the next year and a half, I really just focused on building out the marketing capabilities, growing, growing faster and growing faster. Got promoted to president in, say, February of 2013. And I took that time to take a pause. And I said, from a strategy perspective, we are basically one category at the time where almost all of our revenue is mortgage. And mortgage is super interest rate dependent, and it wasn't something we could control. So when mortgage rates once went up, we kind of got our teeth kicked in, and it's not in your control, so it's not a great place to be. And so me and our chief product officer ran a really quick couple months strategy project, and we said, well, we have competitive advantage, which is our brand. People know us. They trust us. They will trust us with their financial solutions. But it's being really not leveraged because we're just one category. So we stood up a bunch, like seven or eight new categories, personal loans, credit cards, in other categories. And these categories, these other consumer lending categories exploded at 1000% plus growth. And so over the next couple of years, we were able to triple mortgage revenue and also take it from 90% of revenue down to mid 20s because these other categories were so explosive. And then I got a call from Doug one day saying, hey, I'm firing my CFO. Do you want to be the CFO? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm a nuclear engineer by training, but I've been a CMO and more recently president, but I had no background as CFO and this is a public company. He's like, look, I need someone who can drive the business from the finance seat and be a strategic CFO. I'm like, okay, I think I can do that. So I thought about what is it that I bring to the table? And I'm like, well, number one, we need to capitalize the business because we still hadn't taken any money. We had gone cash flow positive and started to build a bit of cash, but we needed more cash. And then we needed to really look into inorganic growth where one plus one equals four. And so I used that opportunity to raise a bunch of equity capital, a bunch of debt capital. And then we went out and bought some companies. I bought four companies, all four of which were super accretive, but one of which was transformational. And so the net result of this is I played different roles at different times over a seven-year period. But we took the stock from $5 when I joined to $351 from the day I left. And the number three return on the NASDAQ over a five-year period it was, I would categorize as a seven-year dead sprint. There wasn't a single day where I came in and could take a breath, but it was one of the most rewarding career experiences of my life. Yeah, I could see how anyone observing from the outside what happened, what you were able to do at LendingTree would then try to recruit you to a company, regardless of whether or not it was struggling or if it was doing well, they would just want the explosive growth Either way, what was it about Udacity that made you say, hey, you know, I could probably play an important role here? Yeah, I had been thinking, you know, I'd have a fair amount of personal success. And so 
I've been spending a lot of my personal mind share thinking about how could I do something to give back to the world. And Lendingtree has great products. You can save money on your loans. Like that's awesome. But it's still, I was missing that personal connection to it. What can I give back to society and like transform lives? And I kept thinking where I grew up in West Virginia, the fact that the people I grew up around were some of the smartest people I've ever met. And even the ones that are, quote, successful there are making $25,000 a year. There's just no jobs there. And the jobs of the past are gone. The jobs of the future are really kind of where economic opportunity were. So I was just thinking, like, how do I solve that? And I just kept coming back to, like, we got to take this talent and harness it and train it and get it focused on the careers of the future. And then I met Sebastian and he's like, yeah, but this isn't a West Virginia or Appalachia problem. This is a global problem. And if you actually take a broader lens, you have nations that are transforming at a breakneck pace. And if they don't invest in their their populations, like they are going to be left behind. You have enterprises, 80% of enterprises in the global 2000 self-admit to having major skills gap. And they rank lack of talent as their number one business risk, right? So this is a big, big global problem. And it's a big, big problem for enterprises and for individuals, for enterprises, for nations. And there's just no solutions out there. When you think about the category of MOOCs, and we really don't think of ourselves as a MOOC anymore, what they're great at is providing really broad-based learning to a wide range of people, self-directed learning. And you know, on these platforms, you can learn everything from the basics of Excel skill to like one of the most popular courses at one of our competitors, The Art of Happiness. You know, super broad, and that's nice, but they'll take you from zero to 0.5. And you're not going to come out of these programs with any transformational skills. What Udacity is really focused on is two things. First is having far superior a learning pedagogy or methodology where we start with an employable job resume and you say, if you want to graduate from these programs, you should have actually done the job. So to graduate from our Android app developer program, you have to build an Android app, upload it to the Play Store, have one of our internal reviewers download it, do the line-by-line code reviews and make sure it works. To graduate from a self-driving car engineer course, you have to upload your code into Udacity's self-driving car. And using your code, it drives around a course, stops and red goes and green, doesn't hit stuff. You can get a job day one at Tesla with that, right? So we start with just a far superior idea of starting with the endpoint and building everything around it where you actually got to do the job to graduate from the program. And then the second thing is over the last several years, we've really shifted from being a consumer first business to an institutional first business. So this is us working with large global 2000 companies to really drive not learning as a benefit, not be a learning platform, but to create a new category, which is radical talent transformation. If you want to transform your company and to succeed at digital transformation and deploy a billion dollar Microsoft Azure migration, you need to transform your talent, not provide some videos. And so of course, our content is better, but also we provide the scaffolding around it. We help you assess your talent base. We help to, at an individual level, understand where they can get to and create those individualized uh, learning paths. We do all the program management of recruiting, onboarding, sending through with live mentors and sessions and things like that to create this totally integrated and supported learning journey, and then make sure they get butts in seats afterwards. And then track it all the way to ROI. So we're not happy that someone took a program or graduated. We're happy when they can actually prove that they have transformed your company and we can tie that back to your investment. Totally different thing than like a, a move category. 
Mm-hmm. So it seems like Fortune 500 company, they're having a tough time re- attracting the talent, maybe because the talent's just not there. The skill sets, people just don't have the specific skill sets. They want to put in place XYZ project and they know it's going to take time, right? If they have to train yeah. the personnel to do this, what's that timeline look like? Is it, okay, this project, we want it done tomorrow, but feasibly it can't get done two years from now because first we have to train. Is that the case with many of these companies? Yeah. So a, a couple of data points, like number one, $1.8 trillion is going to be spent on digital transformation this year. And well over 50% of that will be totally wasted. And the reason isn't the technology because the technology is there, but it's because of the lack of talent to deploy the technology. So that's the really big issue. We work with a major US bank. They had posted 160 data scientist positions and after six months had hired eight. The talent just doesn't exist. And if you're trying to hire a data scientist or cybersecurity analyst right now, Lord help you, right? And you see this in the salaries. The salaries are exploding. If you're Facebook, you can pay the salaries. You're sexy. You can recruit these people. If you're like an old industrial or a financial services firm, they don't want to work for you. And so like, it's just not even possible to hire the skills. And so really what you need to think about is how do I manufacture the skills? I've got 100,000 employees. How do I identify the people who actually have the grit and the talent to do this? And then how do I get them onto a structured program and then get them bus and seat and deploy my technology transformation? It takes, depending on how much protected time an employer will give one of their employees, anywhere from, say, three to five months to develop a full job skill full job spec, which is what we call an ANA degree. It's about 140 hours of work. And you're not going to do that all in one month because like, it's an awful lot to absorb in a month and people have other stuff to do. But if you give an employee 10 to 15 hours a week, three, four, five months, you actually come out of these programs, job ready, get button seat and deploy your skills. Yeah, something interesting, the stat that I heard, this was years ago, but as these education companies were popping up that would retrain people into the tech field, I mean, sometimes the enrollment was a Yale grad, an Ivy League grad who had maybe majored in English or you know some non-technical degree. And they said, okay, I can't make a living with this degree. I'm going to have to switch over into computer science in some way. When we look at the educational institutions across the US, across the globe, how could a Udacity work with these institutions to help ensure employment into the right trades that these companies need? So let me give you an example of where we we link to employment at massive scale. So we're working with the government of Egypt. Egypt came to us back in, I say, 2017 and said, we're living in an old economy and we need to build a digital economy. And our university system doesn't know how to teach technology. Can you help us transform our society? And we said, that's awesome. Yes. And so since then, we've given basic digital skills to hundreds of thousands of people. We have provided total talent transformation to tens of thousands of people per year. And what we're doing is we're training people in these digital skills and then linking them immediately to freelancing jobs. We're tying our compensation to directly measuring our graduates' impact on Egypt's GDP growth. Right. So think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. So we are training their society at scale, building up a digital workforce, linking them to jobs, and then measuring the output and putting our money where our mouth is. So that's one example. When we work with enterprises, which is our largest business, 
The great thing about an enterprise is you've got a bunch of talent there, you have open jobs, and you just need to connect the two, right? And so typically when people go through a program, they immediately go into that new role and they have that job sitting waiting for them. The data would show that just for someone coming through one of our programs, maybe outside the enterprise space, 70% of them wind up with a raise, a promotion, or some other positive career outcome. It is super impactful. We get graduation rates within enterprises, sometimes 100%, often you know, in kind of the 80% range. And that is completely different than what you're going to find on a typical learning platform, which frankly is going to give you like 5% to 10% even graduation rates, and they're not even going to have real skills. Everything we do is about getting people either internally moving into a new role and a new job or externally linking them to real positive employment and career outcomes. Got it. Is there some segment of your revenue model that's focused directly on... I think I heard in one of your interviews that it's almost tougher to convince the individual to train themselves or upskill themselves versus having an employer or work with an employee to take that new training. But do you have a segment of your focus which is on the individual? And then if so, how does that individual finance themselves? There's two ways we address individuals. One is they can come to udacity.com, sign up for a program, and off they go. That's maybe like a third or a little bit less than a third of our business. The other way they can work with us is we work with global employers and companies to provide scholarships. So we work with nations to provide scholarships to their citizens. We work with large organizations like we're working with uh, 110, which is this amazing organization created to upskill and train 1 million people who represent as Black in future forward and employable skills who don't have a four-year degree and link them to 1 million jobs. And they're working with, I think, over 60 global 2,000 companies now to provide access to jobs. And the person they have turned to first to actually provide this skilling and training is Udacity. And so like that's an example where we can work with phenomenal organizations to provide access free of cost to often underrepresented groups and then help them get true opportunity. Where if you think about a university today, if you're lucky, it's $100,000, but often it's 200,000 plus, right? It's four years out of your life. And if you're coming up in an economically disadvantaged area, like that's just not an option. It's just not an option for you, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have that infrastructure. So what do you do? you probably have a life with a pretty mediocre career and, and that gets passed down generation to generation. If you can provide access to those populations, to something that is shorter in duration, has really high pay coming out, and they can get on a tech career path, that's generational transformation. <laughs> so to answer your question, yes, we work with individuals either directly through people who can fund an anna degree, and they're not that expensive, but also with um, great organizations that are providing scholarships. You might have already considered this. There's a, an organization or a company called Climb, Climb Credit. It's a new type of financing, actually. They're going to be on our podcast maybe before this one gets released. But they provide some nice financing for folks that are trying to upskill and launch into a, a new career. Yeah, there's a category called income share agreements. And we're kind of mixed on this. I appreciate the fact that you know you can take a program like a boot camp, for example, or, or something like that, which tend to be very expensive, right? So if you think about a boot camp, call that like, Fifteen to thirty thousand dollars, you can get almost the exact same outcome from Udacity for about roughly a thousand dollars, right? So, the income share agreements are typically aligned against the more expensive boot camps, 
And what they do is they say, great, it doesn't cost you anything to take this, but when you graduate and get placed, we're going to take 5%, 10% of your earnings to pay them. And that's fine, but you're still financing something quite expensive and you're going to have to pay it back one way or the other. So I'd rather just be direct with people. And we do some basic, really straightforward financing, but not kind of like obscure. I'm not totally against it. It's just, it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it's for a different type of program. We're coming up on time here. I do like to ask a couple closing questions, if I may. And you've been very yeah. generous by spending your time with us. One is, can you tell us about a leader that you particularly admire? You know, One that has maybe helped guide you, just keeping them in the back of your mind as you're making decisions, in particular, tough decisions as you're analyzing problems. It could have been while you were at LendingTree. It could be now. But anyone who comes to mind that really has helped inspire you? Well, I don't know him, but Reed Hastings and his uh, No Rules Rules book is phenomenal. When I read that, like a lot of the ideas and principles I kind of developed over my career crystallized and came together, which it was all about just really focusing on building a company of high talent individuals and getting out of their way and empowering them and getting rid of the bureaucracy and letting people run and make decisions and things like that. So really, really love the principles of that book and also just admire what he's done at Netflix. The other question I like to ask is if you could tell us about one of the most challenging times you faced during your career. I like to ask this question because typically when people answer it, they really kind of hone in on what it took to get through to the other side and they look back on it and it's something they're you know somewhat proud of. Like I was able to kind of steer through that and it was a kind of a reflective moment. I'd say the most challenging time of my career was probably stepping into Udacity. It was my first CEO role. So I had to really take a totally different view of the company and the role and how I could be most impactful. Like The funny thing is, as CEO, you don't actually do anything. It's all about making sure we have the right vision and strategy. We have the right team and everybody's aligned on the right goals. And but I'm not running marketing campaigns. I'm not delivering customer service. And so it's just a different skill set. So I think that was a steep learning curve. At the same time, I had to learn a totally new industry and category. And to be honest with you, at the time, we didn't know if we were a consumer business or an institutional business, right? And at the time, you know, majority of our revenue was actually in consumer, but we were getting all these enterprises coming to us saying, hey, like we have a really big problem and we need help. And we're trying to sort through that and it's imperfect information, but you got to set a strategy because you don't have enough resources as a company to be great at consumer and great at enterprise and great at government, all these things. And so at the same time, I'm coming up to speed in an industry, I'm learning a new job. I had to pretty quickly make a decision and make a call on who are we and what are we? And so, you know, same type of thing we did, went in and did a really quick strategy project and said, where really is the product market fit? Where can we have the biggest societal impact? And it became clear that working with institutions allowed us to scale much bigger, much faster, solve huge, huge, painful problems. And we made the call. And it's clear now that was the right decision. At the time, it was not clear at all. So it was, it was tough and it was messy. And I look back and I'm really proud of what we've done as a company uh, since then, but certainly was not clear at the time. Well, Gabe, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the time today.